Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of Kayla. If you guys know, we uh, started this year uh, talking about growth is now, right? That is our word. That is our vision for the year. And the first series that uh, Pastor started this year was on is Hunger Games. All right. So if you guys were here last week or if you watched it on YouTube, you know that he spoke about the importance of prayer and uh, that spiritual hunger. And he's talking about different. Um, uh, this series is going to be about different spiritual disciplines, um, but having that hunger for God and hunger for the things of God. And so one of those, um, as he spoke about last week, is prayer. And so today I'm going to continue um, on that series, The Hunger Games. And um, I, I kind of had a hard time trying to title the message, this message because I'm going to hit on different things. But um, what I came to is this is Hunger Games Seeking the Kingdom. Hunger Games, Seeking the Kingdom, because we're called to seek the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. So when we, we talk about hunger, and if we look throughout the Bible, there's different words. The Bible is, it's interesting because it's a book of, it's a theological book. It's a book of history, um, but it's also a book of, of poetry and colorful language. And so it uses a lot of metaphors, similes, and things like that. And so obviously things like hunger are used to describe um, um, a spiritual hunger. And so you see terms in the Bible like hunger, thirst, seek, all these are synonymous. So throughout this message, I might use seek or, or a different word, but um, it's all going to be um, tied back to the idea, the concept of, uh, of hunger. Amen. And so if we think about, if you think about hunger and thirst, it's, it's, it's just a great analogy because you think about a time that I mean, we were fasting this week, so I'm sure we were hungry. <laughs> and um, it, it just, it, it's kind of relating that, that hunger or time of thirst to having that same type of hunger, that same type of desire, that same type of thirst for God in the presence of God. Amen. And God in our lives. And so, but the interesting thing is, and, and a concept that we see throughout the Bible is um, we live in these simultaneous states. Okay, and so what I mean by that is, for example, we know that when, when we're saved, right, Christ completed a finished work, right? We are not just partway saved, we are completely saved. Christ did all the work, right? But at the same time, the Bible also says that we work out our salvation with trembling and fear. So it's, 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 it's both. We are both completely saved, but we're still also working out our salvation, right? So it's like these two simultaneous states. We even look at Jesus. He was fully God and fully man, two simultaneous states. And we are also know that the Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, yet we are here on earth as ambassadors of Christ. So even here right now today, we're in Perth, Amboy, New Jersey, we're also, in a, we're also seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus at the same time, okay? And so a lot of these things are kind of like to our natural mind, they don't make sense, but to God, it does, because God is higher than us. You know, if, if we could figure him out, why would we need God, right? So th these are some concepts that are higher, but they're true, and we have to understand them, not approach them with a carnal mind, but approach them with a spiritual mind, okay? And so also, we see that God, we know that God is in us, right? The spirit of God is in us, yet he also calls us to draw near. So he's in us, but we also have to draw near to him. Again, we're in these two these simultaneous states a lot of time, and we're also called to seek the kingdom of God. 
The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. We're going to get to that scripture soon, right? We seek the kingdom of God, but Paul also says the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God is already in you, yet we also have to seek it. Okay, so there's these simultaneous things that we, we, we have to wrestle with, but we have to understand that these are things that we completely have in us, but we still have to have a desire for. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm um, talking about being hungry, talking about seeking God and specifically seeking the kingdom. So turn with me uh, in your word to uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew 6. And this is, should be a familiar verse of scripture to many of us, Matthew 6, 33. This is going to be our main text for the day. All right. And when you're there, you can say amen. <clears throat> All right, Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. And so just in context here, um, Jesus was, was speaking here and he was talking about people were, he was talking about people just not to be concerned with a lot of things. They were just concerned with, you know, just the day-to-day -day affairs of life, you know, like how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my family? All these things and, and just all these concerns and, and, you know, you know, basically their, their basic needs. And Jesus said, look, you seek first the kingdom and all these other things, all these other things will be added unto you. And so that's a, that's a, a concept we need to know, but we also have to understand what the kingdom is and what he meant by that. And, and the, the understanding, the idea that by putting God first, everything else is taken care of. I had a, my former pastor used to always say, uh, if you take care of God's business, he'll take care of your business. Amen. Praise God. So I want to talk about seeking first and understand that first part. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to seek? So I want to understand that first. But the first thing we have to understand, ground level foundational, what we have to understand is that the idea of us even seeking God, our seeking is simply a response because he sought us first, right? The Bible says that he first loved us. We didn't, do, we didn't take the first step towards God. God took the first step towards us. He came down and saved us. So we have to understand that anytime our, 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 when our heart turns to God and seeking God, it's because God did all the pursuing first. He, was a, he loved us. God said God loved the, so loved the world that he sent his son. So God did all the work, all the effort, and put all that in first. So anything we do is just simply a response to his caring, his loving action. Amen? Amen? We can't even come to him unless the Holy Spirit draws us to him. That's what the Bible says, right? So it's all, it's all essentially on God. And so our, our seeking him, our hunger for him is just a response to, to the, his goodness, his love, and, his, and um, everything that he's given to us in, in salvation. Amen? All right. So seeking, there are two, there are two things um, about seeking that I'm, I'm going to get into a, um, a three different characteristics. Before I get into that, to just describe um, particularly what it is. So first of all, to seek him, and to, it simply means to get to know him more. So that's the first base level thing. It's like seeking him is getting to know him more. And even if you've been saved 25, 30 years, God is, God is multifaceted, right? There's always deeper. There's always more that you can learn about him. He's eternal, right? And so, and so the idea of seeking him is learning more about him. But here's the other thing. Here's the flip side of it. When we seek God and seek his presence, 
we also learn more about ourselves, right? The Bible, the, the Bible says that the word of God is like a mirror and we, and it holds, it's in, and it, we look at a mirror in front of us and we see, we're looking at the reflection of Christ and we're also seeing where those flaws, where we don't add up, where we're not, where we're missing the mark, right? So when we're seeking God, it's to get him, get to know him better, more intimately, but also we get to see ourselves and things that God wants to reveal to us about ourselves that he wants us to change, right? He's also going to encourage us and stuff where, where we are getting it right, but he also, he's, he's perfecting us, amen? All right. So seeking him is getting to know him more, and it's also simply turning our face towards him. It's simply turning our face towards him because God is in us, right? So when we say seek, seeking God, it's not like we're going on some journey to go find where this God is. He's hiding from us. That's, that's, that's not how it is. God is in us. We already have a certain a level of intimacy with him, but it's, it's simply just turning our face, turning our attention, turning our affections towards him. Really, it's spending time in his presence, just putting away distractions and seeking him, meaning seeking that intimate, personal time with him in his presence and allowing him to minister us, minister to us, serving him, loving him, worshiping, but allowing him to speak to us and doing that daily. That's what seeking him is, because God's not far off. We know in Romans 10, 6, it says the, the word of God is, is, not, is near. It's near us, and it means God is very near us, but seeking him is just simply stop stopping and saying, God, I turn towards you. Amen? All right. So I'm going to talk about some key, three key characteristics about seeking God. So the first one is Turn with me. Well, before we go there, the first one is it's a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing. Hunger for God, thirsting for God, desiring God, seeking God, it's a continual thing. Even in this verse, Matthew 6, 6, 3, uh, 633, that seek is actually a continual seeking. It's not just a one-time thing. Amen? So I want to show you an example of this. If you can go with me to, uh, well, actually, well, you can turn there, but I, I want to read this out to Amplify because I love how uh, it describes it. Uh, so Matthew 7 Verse 7 and 8. And I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Okay. And so this is the Amplified version. It says, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently and the door will be open." For everyone who keeps asking receives, and he who keeps seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Hmm. So that, that, that brings like a different meaning to that word seek, right? It's not just when you see that it's, it's, it's that keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on asking. It's almost like there's an there's a, there's a idea of persistence there. There's an idea of, of perseverance. There's, there's an idea of tenacity there, right? So we seek God with this passion. We seek God with, 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 with just not just seeking him once. It's a continual thing. It's a passionate thing. It's a thing that is persistent. We have to continually seek him persistently. Amen? Turn with me also to, and I'm going to read this also out of Amplified Luke, um, Luke 11. And this is just illustrating the same concept, Luke 11, 5. We'll read Luke 11, 5 through 10. This is a parable here. And, um, and this also illustrates this idea of this continual seeking, this continual, this, this, this um, idea of persistence. And then in the, in the uh, Amplified, it says it like this. 
It says, and he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and will say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine who is on a journey has just come and I have nothing to put before him. So he's given an illustration here where someone has a house guest and, you know, this isn't like modern times. We have people come over and it's like, oh, we have no food in the house. We'll just run to a 24 hour store. They didn't have that then. Right. So what do they have to do if they have any food to serve their guests? They had to go to a neighbor, but they said it's late. It's midnight. Are we going to pick it up? So, so you uh, let's pick it up again at six. He says, for a friend of mine, he goes to his neighbor and says, for a friend of mine who is on a journey has just come and I have nothing to put before him. And he will either within you answer, do not disturb me. The door is now closed. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and supply you with anything. I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking. It shall be given. Seek and keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door shall be open. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking... And everyone who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be open. Amen? Amen. It's a persistence. It's the tenacity to that. And so that's this, these um, examples we're talking about, Jesus was explaining prayer. And that's how we seek God in prayer. It's not just a one-time thing. Yes, we believe in faith that when we pray that we have and receive it, but God wants us to have that attitude, that tenacity, that tenacious faith to continually ask, continually seek, continually knock until we receive. Amen? Amen. Praise God. All right, so the next characteristic of seeking, and we see it in back in Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first. Seek first. Now, first, obviously, we know that first means first in order, right? So there's, you know, you get up and what's the first thing you do, right? So there's, there's that idea. And, and, and I, I agree with that to seek God first, but more so what the, what the scripture is telling us, and another definition is, is first, is first in, as in importance, right? So first means chief, first means um, the principal thing or it means the priority. So God has to be our priority. And I want to talk about that word priority for a minute. The, the priority for a minute. Now, it's interesting because, you know, we hear a lot today about, you know, okay, what are your top priorities or, or, or what are, um, you know, what are your priorities this year or, or these are my priorities. And it's interesting because not until the mid 20th century was that word plural. So if you look in an old dictionary before, like, early 1900s or something like that. If you look in the dictionary, you know it has like, this is the singular version, this is the plural version. There was no plural version of priority. The word priorities did not exist. So what happened is in our society, in our culture, we've become so busy and we have so many things that we do and so many things that we value is that they've now, the word has evolved where you can have multiple priorities. But the original, uh, the original word was a singular word because there is one priority. How can you have more than one priority? Priority means the most important thing. How do you have this is most important, this is most important, this is most important, right? We've gotten off track. There is one priority, one thing that is most important. Now, there are other things that are valuable and there are other things that are important, but you could only have one priority, one thing that is the most important. And that is our relationship with God, yes. right? 
That is seeking God. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, other things, that your, your, your marriage, that your, your children, that your job, and all these other things aren't important, but they aren't the priority. Jesus tells us that, that that is the priority. And again, even what God talks, even when Jesus mentions in, in Matthew 6, if you seek first all those other things, even, even those other important things will be taken care of. But we have to make God our priority, seeking him first. Amen? All right. Let's, let's, let's dig into this. Go, turn to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. All right. <clears throat> All right, so this is Jesus. He's uh, him and his disciples. They're going around traveling, preaching um, the word. And so we're going to pick it up. Verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing, say one thing. One thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary understood, prior, understood priority. Martha had all these priorities, right? Which was understandable, right? She wanted, she, these things were important. This was her home, and she was supposed to, you know, the disciples, Jesus and the disciples were hungry, and she had to go prepare everything. Not saying that those things weren't important, but they weren't the priority. Jesus said only one thing, one thing is necessary, and Mary understood that. And so that applies to our lives too, right? Because there are, we, a lot of times we get, see what, what happened with Martha is that she got, she got distracted. Okay, so there's two things that kind of pull us away from putting God first and, and, and making him the priority. It's distractions and it's the displacement. Distractions and displacement. I'll get to displacement in a second. So distractions is an example with Martha with distractions. Is there are other important things? So many times the distractions, it's hard because distractions are necessary things. They're important things in our life, right? So these were important things. Martha, she, this was her home. She had to be a good host. She had to serve. And so in our life, there are other important things that we have to do right there's there's we have to we have job responsibilities we have job responsibilities whether you you know you're married you have kids maybe you might be taking care uh, of a parent or somebody there, there, there's all these these responsibilities these all these things that are important but many times those things can distract us if we're not seeking and not putting that time in daily that important speaking God first spending time in his presence because we cannot we cannot, be, um, we cannot be proficient in those other roles if we're not seeking him first, if we're not spending time in his presence. You're just going to be doing that out of your own strength. You're going to be doing everything else, whatever your role is at work, being a, 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 a mother, a father, a husband, a wife. You're going to be doing that out of your own power, running on empty. 
if you're not putting him first. And so we get distracted by these things, sometimes important things. And other times we get distracted by things that are less important, like entertainment and, and things like that, right? TV, social media. Again, these aren't bad things. And then these things are, and God allows these in our lives. God puts, look, God gives us everything to enjoy, right? Everything that's not evil to enjoy, right? So even entertainment, sitting down watching a Netflix movie is for you to enjoy. And God wants you to do that, right? I like football. I watched those games last night. I'm going to watch them today, right? Yeah, good games, right? That second one, right? So uh, those, those are things for us to enjoy, right? But they can also be distractions if they don't have their proper place in our lives. Amen? I have to seek. Seek first, okay? Turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 1. So I mentioned distractions, and that was an example with Martha, but there's also a time where we have what I call displaced hunger. Displaced hunger. And so Matthew, excuse me, Isaiah 55, um, 1 and 2. I'm reading this out of NAS, NAS, NASB. If you, if you've heard me before, you know I usually like to use the NASB. So. Uh, but it's, it's fine. It's, I think it's very similar to ESV. <clears throat> So it starts off, it says, ho, which is weird. It's like, what does this word mean? But it's just sim sim simply in this term, it's just like listen or get their attention um, in, um, in, in uh, these ancient times. And it says, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy, buy wine, milk without money and without cost. You, and this is the key part, why do you spend money for what, what is not bread and why, and your wages for what does not satisfy? I'm going to read that again. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? And so this is an analogy, okay, that um, I, the prophet Isaiah is, is speaking. So when he's talking about He's talking about why do you spend money for what is not bread? And we know, obviously, in the New Testament and bringing, and, and bringing it back and seeing that, you know, this is obviously everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of Christ. We know Christ is the bread of life, right? And so in our true sustenance. And so he's saying, why do you spend money? And it could be money or it could be time. And, and, and really how it's illustrating is how do you, why do you spend your time and effort? Why do you spend time seeking things that are not bread or not the true source of life that are not going to satisfy you? And so what they had was a displaced hunger. They were focused on, they were seeking other things and looking for satisfaction in other sources away from God. And many times that also help, happens to us. We get, there are distractions like I mentioned, but there's also time when we have displaced hunger, when we're going after other goals and dreams. And many times for us in our modern time, it has to do with our profession and our work and our, and our goals, right? Now, and again, these aren't bad things. We just had a whole series last year on dreams, right? And so we know that God has, has put these dreams in our heart and, and he even things in, in our profession and whatever we want to pursue in our dreams, whether it's business or, or, or whatever. And those are important things. But if we're seeking those as the primary thing, as our source of satisfaction, as if I only get this, then, oh, yeah, this is I'm going to be completed. This is my life. That's what I need in my life. No. No. Priority. Seek first. And even those dreams, even those goals, everything that God put in your heart to achieve will be added unto you. But you have to seek him first. Priority. There are no priorities. There's priority in everything else. Amen? Praise God. All right. So those are the characteristics. Those are two other characteristics. We have to do it continually. 
seek and keep on seeking God. That's what seeking means. It also means first. We have to seek God first, making him the priority. And then the third characteristic of seeking is it's daily. We have to do it daily, right? Seek first. It's it's seek first the kingdom of God, and we have to seek Him daily. If you we we all know the Lord's prayer, um, and it talks about um, give us this day what our daily bread, right? So in one sense that can be just real physical food, but in another sense it is Jesus being our daily bread, time in His Word, seeking Him daily, and and knowing that it's not a one time thing. We need Him every day. Every day we need to hear from him. We need time in his presence. We have to have that hunger and desire to uh, seek him every day. And it's, it's interesting if we look back um, in the Old Testament, we're not, we're not going to go there, but in Exodus, um, we know the children of Israel, when they were brought out of, when God brought them out, delivered them out of Egypt, and they were uh, journeying in the, uh, in the wilderness on the way to uh, the promised land. It took them much longer than they needed to, and they were out there for 40 years. But when they were, they started to complain, right? They started to grumble, and they, they, um, they, you know, because it wasn't like they had farming equipment, they weren't in good land, they were always moving, so they needed, they needed food, they needed their needs met, and so what did God do? He provided manna for them, right? So every morning they woke up, and right in the middle of camp was this food. But here was the thing, they couldn't store it. They had to eat, take just what they needed for their their household for that day that day that was their daily bread and so just think about it because I, I try to put myself in their pictures like they have this food they only have enough for the day they have nothing else in their house so they have to go to bed in faith in faith that I'm going to wake up and this manna is just going to appear again tomorrow and they're going to do it again the next day they go to bed they go to sleep and they wake up and they peek out that tent it's there again God is faithful but it's daily. It's an example of how we have to rely on God daily. What God was doing was building their faith to see that he is, he is trustworthy, he is faithful every day, he's gonna provide that. So we have to believe that every day that we take time out to get into our prayer closet, take time out to get into his presence, that God's gonna to speak to us, that God's gonna refresh us every day. And we have to look to do that every day, amen? Amen. Seeking God's, we're talking about hunger. Hunger Games, talking about seeking God and seeking the kingdom. So let's talk about the kingdom now, the kingdom of God. And so the idea of, when we think of the idea, you know, just a kingdom in general, um, a kingdom, it, it, it kind of denotes uh, ideas such as, there, well, if you have a kingdom, you got to have a king, right? And so we know, you know, God is the king. It means there's a reign. That means there's a realm. That means territory, and there's rules or the ways and the principles and, and, and how a kingdom operates. So I, I want to focus on when we're talking about the kingdom of God, I want to focus on um, the reign and the rule, the reign and the rule of Christ. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's, 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 the, um, it's the reign and the rule of Christ. It's the reign and the rule of Christ. And so one definition, um, it, it talks about how it is the requirements, the privileges, rewards, and the consummation of Christ and being in the kingdom. It's the requirements, so those are kind of rules in, in the way that, how God requires to live, but there's also the privileges. There's privileges to being in the kingdom, right? There's favor on our lives, there's grace on our lives, there's rewards, and there's also the consummation, which is the, the actual establishing on the kingdom and the consummation when um, you know, Christ um, 
brings uh, the New Jerusalem to earth. Amen. And so it's, it's understanding the, these parts of it, particularly what I want to talk about is his reign and his, and his, and his rule and establishing those things. Also, what, uh, one other point, though, is the, um, it also talks about in Galatians that the kingdom of God is also our inheritance. That's powerful. Think about that. The kingdom of God is our inheritance. You think if you ever, I don't know if you have, but blessed if you do, if you inherited a house or something, you know, you think like, oh, wow, you know, you just have this given to you. Um, and so that's kind of how the kingdom is. You know, we're, we're inheriting. We're inheriting the kingdom, right? Because we're co-heirs with Christ. Amen? Amen. So that's a powerful, powerful thing. So let's um, turn to Matthew, back to Matthew 6 here. And we're going to go to, uh, let's go to Matthew 6, 9, and 10. And this is the Lord's Prayer. We mentioned it, but I just want to read it um, so we can follow along and understand what we mean by seek first the kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Matthew 6, 9, 6, 9, and 10. And so we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus teaches, which is really disciples' prayer, uh, but uh, God teaching his disciples how to pray. And it says, pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that prayer is for his kingdom, the kingdom of God come, the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what are we praying? We're praying that we're praying that though that reign and the rule of 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 Christ that's in heaven to be established here on earth. And it's twofold here. So we're not so the first thing, the first thing that that, that prayer means is your kingdom come, your will be done in me. So when we pray that, the first thing we do is we need to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in me and in my life. So that means the rules, the reign, the requirements, the privileges, all of that needs to be established in my life, in my life, right? And the second part is that that be established in, in the earth. And so that is our responsibility. So we, we make sure that is evident in our lives personally and also that we bring it into our world around us. Amen. So the rule and reign of Christ, establish it in our hearts and in us. The kingdom of God is, is, is invisible, right? It's not, a, it's not a visible kingdom like, you know, oh, this is the kingdom of whoever on earth. It's not, a, it's not an earthly kingdom. It's not invisible. It's invisible. And, our, and John Calvin said like this, our job is to make the invisible kingdom visible. Our job is to make the invisible kingdom visible. Turn with me real quick to Luke 17. Getting something out of this? Amen. Praise God. Luke 17, 21, talking about seeking the kingdom. So the kingdom, the kingdom, again, it says we want the kingdom to come, will be done in us, in our lives, and in the world uh, around us. Luke 17, 21, it says, nor will they say, look here, um, here it is, or there it is, but behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or the kingdom of God is in you. Remember I said the kingdom of God is in us. So we need to pray that it is established in us, and we have to understand that it, it, it's within us. It's, it's, it's in our heart, right? If we go to um, math, uh, Romans 14, excuse me, yeah, Romans 14, 17, it's another description of the kingdom. And this is, um, this is Paul talking, Romans 14. I actually have it saved here. 14, 17. And Paul says, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's describing characteristics of the kingdom. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so 
to understand those two concepts, one in Luke and, and, and what Paul is talking about, so the kingdom of God is in us, right? The kingdom of God has these characteristics, his righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. And so the kingdom of God and how when we pray for it to be innocent part of lives is that it should be in every aspect of our lives. It should be in the very fabric of our lives. So the principles of the kingdom, the ways of God should be evident in our everyday life. I look at, um, um, you know, two... Uh, there's a phrase in the Bible that, I, from my understanding, for what I've read, only I've only seen it appear twice, and it, it deals with speaking of, of Enoch and speaking of Noah, and it says they walked with God. They walked with God, right? And so when I think about that, and I think about the kingdom, it, 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 it doesn't, when I say, when, I, when it seems like they walked with God, I, I don't think that they were, they were just like on their face 24 hours a day. They were walking. They were fathers. They had kids. They had responsibilities. They probably had the farm. So they were just living their life, but every aspect of their life, they were walking with God. God was, was a part of every area of their life. He was, he was permeated their life. He was in the very fabric of their life, in their parenting, in their work, in their relationships, everything they did. So when, God, so when we're talking about the kingdom of God being in us and the kingdom of God's will being done, his kingdom coming in our life, it means to, it's, it's both, it, it, it encompasses the spiritual and the practical. And really, there's no delineation. The spiritual is practical, right? And so a lot of times we, we, yes, there's the importance of what we would say spiritual things of spending time in the word and worship and, and prayer and fasting and all those things. But really how the kingdom is truly manifests in our day-to-day -day lives, in our relationships, right? I'm going to put it like this, and this, this might throw some of people off. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is play with your kids. Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you could do. Sometimes that is a worship unto the Lord. It's just spending time build, um, praying, playing with your kids, right? Because we're called to love them, raise them in the fear and admission of the Lord, build relationship with them, right? So they understand the love of God. How do they understand the love of God? Through us. It's manifest through us, through our relationships, right? That's the kingdom of God. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you do is spending time talking to your family, spending time with your spouse, that's the kingdom of God. We're living out the kingdom in those principles, in our day-to-day -day walk with God. I had a, a, a friend who's a minister. He used to say this, and, and, and I'll never forget it. He says, you want to slay a thousand demons? Walk in peace. Just walk in peace. You ain't got to go casting out demons over this city or whatever. You walk in peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. Walk in peace. When the devil is trying to attack you and everything's going crazy, people being laid off at your job, they're scared, you walk in peace. The devil flees. He doesn't, you're resisting him. He just wants you to get stressed out and anxiety and everything. Walking in peace. Living the kingdom of God. You're, you're an overcomer just in those simple day-to-day -day practical things in life. By just by loving, by forgiving. You know how powerful it is in forgiving? You're acting like God when you forgive. That's the kingdom. It's in our day-to-day -day life. It's in our relationships. It's in everything we do. So when we think about that verse, Matthew 6, 33, when it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all these things will be added. All these other things will be taken care of because when the kingdom of God is within you, all those important things, your relationships, your desires, all those things, if the, if the principles of the kingdom are just a part of your life, they get taken care of. Amen? Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Make it a part of you every day, permeating our life, every area. Amen? All right, so we talk about seeking. Seeking, first, is hunger. 
and seeking the kingdom, what the kingdom means, and, and making it a part of our life. And when we do that, and, and part of that, that hunger and seeking comes with a guarantee. Because seeking God comes with the guarantee of satisfaction. You will be satisfied. We will be satisfied. There's, there, 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 there's, there's, there's no uh, shadow of doubt in that. We will be satisfied. And so let's talk about dissatisfaction and, and how we live and, and navigate that and, 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 um, and what, what basically what that means in our lives. So turn with me to the book of John uh, 4, chapter 4. And there you say amen. We're going to read verses 7. We're going to go 7 through 14. <clears throat> and so this is Jesus. He was um, with his disciples ministering. And now he goes to um, um, goes out to uh, Samaria. He's, he's by himself. So picking up at verse 7, he said, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus was at this well. Just to give it the, uh, the context. To draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink since I am a Samaritan? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, to, answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God who it is that's, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and we, he would have given you living water. Say living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then? Do you get that living water? You, <laughs> where do you get that living water? My God, where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob. You are, um, are you, who gave us the well and drank it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered, said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. Amen? Amen. This is the satisfaction that God is talking about. The well of living water. <laughs> I had to laugh because you said, where do you get this water? Right? It's not a natural source. Amen? It's a supernatural source of God. It is the spirit of God within us. And so what God is saying to us is that there's this guarantee of satisfaction. This guarantee of satisfaction because he is depositing us. The kingdom of God is in us. He is in us. So he's deposited the spirit of God in us who is that living water that springs up, always satisfying us, always satisfying. It says that, so when it says that you will never thirst again, that means we don't have to, doesn't mean that we don't have to seek. It doesn't mean that we have to, we don't have to hunger, right? What it's saying is that it, it's that source of satisfaction is within us. It's within us. And so he's, oh, the spirit of God is always there to refresh us. When we seek, when we hunger, when we thirst, he's always there to refresh us. We don't have to go to another source. Amen. We're never without refreshment and never dissatisfied. He is our source springing up within us. Amen. And there's a difference between a well and a spring. There's a difference between a well and a spring. So a well, and why Jesus was at a well, and so he, he couldn't get the water himself because you had to get, you had to go dig down and you had to draw a well or draw water from the source. But a spring, a spring, you don't have to do that. It just comes up. It just comes up. As long as you go to drink, it's there. As long as you go to drink, it is there. That's the spring within us. John 6, 35. John 6, 35. 
John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. When we come to him, he is our source of satisfaction. As long as we drink from the source, we will not, we will not have, we will be satisfied. Amen? We will be satisfied. John 7, 37. John goes into this a lot, this concept, this analogies. John 7, 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me. And as, as the scripture said, for the innermost being will flow rivers of water, living water. That source is in us. Amen. Amen. And so we don't have to, we don't have to beg and, 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 and it's not when we seek and we hunger after them, it's not a begging, it's in us, right? And we just draw on, draw on that. Amen. Amen. And so when that source is in us, it overflows. It overflows. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to Isaiah 55. I read it earlier, but I want to go back to that. We're going to read that again. <clears throat> Isaiah 55. It says, everyone who thirst come to the waters and you who have no money come buy eat come buy wine and milk without money and without cost why do you spend money for what is not bread why um, and your wages on what does not satisfy and this is the next part of the verse listen carefully to me eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance abundance see when we come it's not just a satisfaction it's an overflow it's an abundance more than enough when you come into his presence, when you seek him, when you hunger for him, and you feed on him, it's not just satisfaction. He gives you more than enough, never-ending supply, more than enough, more than just satisfied. So the thing is, you don't ever, so, so when we seek him and we understand that, we never have the need for distractions. We never have the need for displaced hunger. If we're not only going to be satisfied, we're also going to have more than enough. More than enough, amen? So abundance, right? We're speaking about abundance here. And of course, this is going to be the last verses here. Turn for me to Acts. Uh, let's go to Acts 2 first. Acts 2. So we're talking uh, about hunger, seeking him, and understanding that he, he satisfies and we have this living well within us. Amen? The living water. And so this is, this is familiar. Acts 2. We know this is Pentecost. The disciples were all waiting. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit, right? So verse, uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 2, Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise with a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had given them utterance. So we see this. We, we, we know about the day of Pentecost. We know when they were filled with the Spirit, right? And so they had a hunger. They were waiting. They were following God's instructions, and they were satisfied. They were filled. This was a crazy experience. It was like the house shook. They, were, they saw actual uh, tongues of fire. They spoke in tongues. 3,000 people got saved, right? But guess what? There's more. There's more. Acts 4, 23. This is after they receive the Holy Spirit. They're going out. They're preaching. They're healing. They're doing all these works. And then what happened? There's persecution comes. Peter and John get arrested. They get beaten. 
and the and the chief priests and the Pharisees warned them never to speak again. And we pick it up there. And it says, when they were released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God. They sought God. They got hungry. And on one accord, they say, oh, Lord, it is you who made heaven and earth and the sea and all of in them. You, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers of the gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, and now, Lord, and now, Lord, take your, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hands to heal signs of wonders and take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they were gathered and gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the second time. So they already were full. They already had the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came and shook the room on the day of Pentecost, but they kept seeking, and there was another, another experience of refilling. There's abundance. There's abundance. See, this is an example. We can't just be satisfied with that one experience. Yesterday and last week's experience with God is not enough. It's daily. There's more. And the calling on our lives, the purpose and what God is calling us to do requires more. It requires a hunger. The hunger that they had because they saw like, okay, we're seeing this persecution. They're seeing what we're called to do. God, we need more. We need more boldness. We need more of you. We need more hunger of you. And God answered that prayer always because he has abundance to give us. Amen? Amen. My God, he not only refreshes us, but he makes us instruments to refresh and comfort others, to declare his kingdom to others as he fills us. Our hunger, though it satisfies us, it overflows in abundance to others, others around us. Amen? Amen. And so just the final thought here is that sometimes, you know, we get in a place, we can get in a place of whether we're distracted. Like I mentioned, we can get in a place where... Um, we, um, we might have displaced hunger, right? And there's no condemnation for that. We understand that, you know, we can always get it right with God. And sometimes we get into a place where, you know, we have we're a certain level of apathy, right? And that's happens. That happens sometimes. It happened to me. But the thing is, is that we can always hunger and get that hunger back. And here's the thing, though. This hunger isn't something you manufacture on your own. You don't have to go home like, okay, I want to be hungry for God, and you, you sit there, be hungry, be hungry. That's not how it works. That's not how it works in the kingdom, right? God is always working on our behalf, okay? So if you want to be hungry for God, ask God to give you hunger. God will answer that prayer. It's, it's simple as that. It's, it's not something you have to do. You don't have to put together a 10-point a, a plan of how to get yourself hungry for God. It doesn't work that way. Our God is giver. Look, God, we're talking about a God who, who did everything on our behalf. And all you have to do is ask and he'll answer that prayer. Look, God wants you hungry for him. Why wouldn't he answer that prayer? He'll answer that prayer in a second. You ask for hunger, he'll give it to you immediately. So we simply have to ask God for that and he'll give you that hunger. He'll, he'll, he'll help you seek him out. Amen? He's working in us. 
The Bible says this in Philippians. He says he acts, he's at work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So it's great that we know, okay, to carry out his commandments, carry out what he has called me to do. He's, gonna, he's at work in doing it. But he's not only doing that through you. He's giving you a desire to do that. He gives you the very desire to want to obey him, to follow him in hunger. That's a good God. That's a good God. Amen. Praise God. I hope you guys got something out. I hope this blessed you. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Amen. Father God, uh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. We worship you, Lord, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, we glorify you, God. We lift you up, Lord. We thank you, God. Oh, God, we thank you for your presence in our lives, God. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is in us, Lord. That you are not far away, Father God. You're not just sitting in some far off place, Father God, up in the heavens, Father God. You are in us, Lord. And you have allowed us to sit in heavenly places with you, God. You are near, God. Yet at the same time, Father God, you call us to draw near. So we ask you, Lord, we ask you to give us that hunger, Lord, that desire, Lord, to draw near to you, a hunger for your presence, God. God, once we taste it, we want more. We want more, God. So we, we, we ask you, Lord, to give us that desire, a greater desire to hunger for you, Lord, even this week, God, that we wake up with a hunger for you, Lord, to spend time, Lord. We may not have an hour. We may not have that uh, an hour. Making a priority doesn't mean that we spend 10 hours. That's not what priority means. Priority means that we put, put you as first in importance. So if that day we have 15 minutes, God, we give those 15 minutes fully to you, Lord. If we have 30, we, now we give that fully to you. It's not about the time. It's about the intention, the focus, Lord. And so, God, we thank you, Lord. We ask you for that hunger, Lord, and we know that you satisfy, God. And so we thank you, Lord, for being, for your kingdom being in us, God, that it being in our lives, Lord, and that we live it out, Lord, every day, Lord, and it permeates our lives in every area of our lives, our relationships, Father God, our friendships, Father God, our lives, Lord, and that we're open, Father God, to your abundance, your abundance, Lord, of your spirit in our lives to empower us, Lord, to live the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed, guys. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 1854, Perth Amboy, New Jersey 08862. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email. The address is partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to his word. Until next time, God bless you.